Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, everybody, we're back. It's uh, 9 September, Friday night. And uh, anyway, a lot of good stuff going on. Too much stuff to talk about. Uh, but uh, before we get started, I'll talk about Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at defense underscore podcast. If you can find the time, check us out. I think that if you like the podcast, I think you'll like Twitter. Uh, because basically the Twitter supports the podcast and the podcast supports the Twitter. So if I do something on an episode and I think it needs a little more... Um, emphasis or just clarification i'll throw it on twitter and maybe you know in in spaces between episodes if i see something interesting i'll throw it on twitter maybe i'll refer to it back on another episode kind of like what i'm doing now because the big news the other day was uh, a latest package to ukraine so i put it on twitter and then of course i'll talk about it today so anyway if you're interested if you like the podcast maybe you like us on twitter enough of that um i wanted to talk about i I said last episode that I was going to talk about the Army's fixed-wing ISR platform. It's called Hades. And uh, I'm, I'm not getting to it this episode because there's a lot of articles on it. And I was going to do the one by, at Breaking Def- from Breaking Defense by Andrew Everton. But there's a lot of other ones, too. And I'm just not, it's not – I can't wrap my head around it. There's a lot of stuff. And uh, I've read it a few times, and uh, I'm just not ready – I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes, so it takes me a couple times to read something before I get my head wrapped around it and understand it. So not this episode, but it's coming. Uh, that's That much is, is certain. Uh, let's see. But tonight, what are we going to talk about tonight? Uh, of course, Ukraine, the package of Ukraine yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Whatever day it was, I think it was yesterday. And, of course, Pakistan is part of FMS, uh, from the Defense Security Cooperation Agency, a foreign military cell to Pakistan. Uh, F-35 is in the news. When is it not in the news? Um, And there's something about that F-35. I can't explain it. Um, We did our first F-35 story a month or two ago, and ever since then, well, it was always in the news before that, and that's why I did a story, and I was like, man, every time I read the news, there's something about F-35, and it, it never fails. It never fails to deliver, and it's a gift that keeps on giving, as they say, or a self-licking ice cream cone. Never, that probably doesn't fit. Anyway, and then Army's Futures Command, which we love here. We like talking about it, and there's big news in that, so we'll get started right away with Ukraine. Uh, this is from September 8th. It's a DOD release. You can find it if you want. It's on Twitter. Uh, we put it on Twitter. Uh, so $675 million. Uh, what's in it? Additional ammunition for HIMARS. Four 105 howitzers plus 36,000 rounds of 105. Uh, additional high-speed anti-radiation missiles, also known as HARM. 100 armored Humvees. 1.5 million, million rounds of small arms ammunition. More than 5,000 anti-armor systems, 
additional grenade launchers and small arms, 50 armored medical treatment vehicles, night vision, and other field equipment. And one that caught my eye, excuse me, and drink a little water here. What really caught my eye was uh, 1,000 rounds, 155 millimeter remote anti-armor mine systems, also known as RAM, R-A-A-M. That's what caught my eye because, you know, of all the packages, they they delivered uh, M18 Claymore mines, which is an up-close personal mine, you know, used for ambushes or, or d- close in defense. But now we're uh, the United States has given them and a tank mines, which is not a surprise. So I did some looking in what this RAM was, and it turns out it's part of this thing called FastCam. And this is not a new program. Uh, the best information I found was from an old publication, an Army publication called Research Development Acquisition. It's from March to April 1980, very old. And the lead story is called FastCam, Family of Scatterable Minds, page 6. Of course, you know, in 1980, that was big Cold War time there. And the big threat was, uh, you know, the Russians and, you know, all the day rooms in the Army had the Soviet Big Five up or the Soviet Big Seven up. And, you know, that's all the day room had posters of Warsaw Pact equipment. And anyway, so this article discusses a uh, family of scatterable mines. And, of course, there's a bunch of different ways you can deliver mines. You can deliver them with this thing called a volcano, which is like a truck that shoots them out the back. You can deliver it, uh, you know, of course, put them in by hand like an M18 Claymore mine or an M21 anti-tank mine where you just dig it in by hand, or you can deliver them by artillery. And that's what this RAM is. And I'll read straight from the the publication here. It says, uh, RAM is an acronym for Remote Anti-Armor Mine. is a magnetically fused anti-armor mine delivered by 155-millimeter projectile. There are nine cylindrical RAM mines nested in one projectile, uh, it gets a little technical here. So when the projectile is fired, the safe and arming mechanism senses the forces associated with setback and spin and subsequent mine ejection from the projectile. This provides proper mechanical and electrical arming. So uh, once it's deployed, it, it, it arms itself. After ground impact, the, mi- the mine is armed, electric enabled, and ready to detonate upon sensing the proper vehicle signature by internal magnometer this is getting too technical for me all right the nine mines in uh the projectile have uh, self-destruct uh there's ones that have long self-destruct depending on the the type and there's some that have short self-destruct they don't talk about the time of self-destructs probably hours i'm guessing uh this five pound mine provides both belly and track kill this five-pound mine provides both belly and track kills against known armored targets and is the basic anti-armor mine utilized in other delivery systems. So there you have it. Anti-armor mine delivered by 155. Now, there's another family um, delivered by 155. It's called Adam, and that means artillery-delivered anti-personnel mine or aerial denial artillery munition. Uh, same, same principle, except there's 36 mines inside the projectile. Once the projectile is fired, the safe and arming in each mine senses the force of setback and spin. Probably the same deal. Uh, once it arrives, once it's deployed, it's armed. And see what else it talks about. Any subsequent disturbance of a trip wire, such as the mine is moved slightly or a break of the wire at its weakest point where it meets the mine body, initiates the detonation train. 
When this occurs, a liquid propellant surrounding the fragmentation spear ignites, shattering the plastic wedge body, propelling the spear upward. The timing delay in the spear permits it to reach a predetermined height before it detonates, sending hundreds of lethal fragments into a spherical pattern about 3,000 feet per second. If the mind is not disturbed during active life, self-destruct occurs. So that is the anti-personnel one, and we just kind of went over the anti-tank one. Dangerous business, these mines, and that's why it's such a big deal to me that the uh, United States has given them to Ukraine. Now, why would they want to give Ukraine mines? Uh, I'm no combat engineer. Uh, I don't play one on TV, and I don't play one as a podcaster too much. But, you know, mines are used, can be used in offense and defense. Uh, if you're going to use it in the offense, for instance, say you're, you're attacking a force that's, that's breaking contact or retreating, and uh, you want to give them an obstacle that they have to – negotiate before you know to slow them down it could be a river or whatever in this case you could throw up one of these minefields uh behind them and as they're retreating or moving backwards now they have to negotiate this minefield and face you so that's kind of one way you could use it in the attack and the defense kind of self-explanatory uh you could surround yourself with them you could mines are used to to fix an enemy to turn them it's just an obstacle like any other obstacle a natural obstacle uh uh, a wire obstacle, a minefield. So anyway, that's that's what it's all about. And uh, so it's interesting that uh, the United States has given these to Ukraine, and uh, not a lot of people are talking about this. Um, I figured this would be big news, you know, because the world is really, you know, most of the uh, the nations today are not heavy duty on mine. They don't like mines. Even the United States is kind of. You know, kind of going away from mines. All mines got to have a self-destruct. Um, nobody wants dumb mines anymore because they lay around forever and they kill innocent people. And unless you're talking about the Korean Peninsula, and then they got all kinds of mines over there. But short of that, um, the world's kind of the nations are the world's nations are trying to go away from mines. But anyway, that's why I thought it was big news. So enough on that. Okay. Oh, one thing on Twitter. I made a mistake when I tweeted this 23 hours ago. I said uh, the United States is giving 1,100 RAM system, not ele- not 1,000. So I made a mistake on that. And if there's nine of these mines per uh, projectile, they're getting 9,000 mines. Actually, 1,000 with nine mines inside. All right, enough of that. We'll go to... FMS, uh, Foreign Military Cells, this is for Pakistan. And again, this is all on the internet. You can find it yourself. It's a Pakistan F-16 case for sustainment. Uh, The date is 7 September, which is two days ago. Uh, The government of Pakistan has requested to consolidate prior F-16 sustainment and support cases to support Pakistani Air Force fleet by reducing duplicate case activities and adding additional continued logistic support elements. It sounds to me like Pakistan's in the same boat I am. They've got all these different providers. In my case, it's for like a cable or, you know, internet Hulu or whatever. And I got two or three of them that I don't watch. And then it sounds like they've got two or three different contracts sustaining their F-16s, and they just want to put all their eggs in one basket. So this, this egg basket is going to cost... $450 million. Uh, some of the stuff they'll get is participation in the F-16 Structural Integrity Program, uh, internal 
International Engine Management Program, Engine Component Improvement Program, Aircraft Engine Hardware Software Modifications, uh, let's see, Classified and Unclassified Software and Software Support, Pubs, Manuals, and Technical Documentation, and other elements of aircraft maintenance and program support. The proposed sale does not include any new capabilities, weapons, or munitions. Estimated total cost is $450 million. Uh, the proposed sale will continue the sustainment of the Pakistan's F-16 fleet, which greatly improves Pakistan's ability to support counterterrorism operations through a robust air-to-ground capability. So there you go. Pakistan is just getting their stuff squared away for their F-16 sustainment. And what does that cost? $450 million. So there you go. We're doing pretty good with this Defense Security Cooperation Agency. We reported all seven of them in August, and so far we've reported three and uh, four in September. So we're going to keep looking at that. I really like this part of the – I really like enjoy, – I enjoy this because it kind of see what the world is getting from, from the United States. All right, so we'll pull up the next one, which is F-35. You gotta love the F-35. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, when we started this podcast months ago and I started doing heavy duty, you know, I always noticed F-35s in the news for something. And uh, finally, we, we did a show on the F-35 a few months ago and we went over all the variants and just everything, pros and cons, because it's got as, you know, as many uh, fans it has, it's got as many detractors. And I'm undecided. Um, but anyway, it's always in the news for something. It never fails to deliver. And for better or for worse, it's delivering again because uh, you've probably heard about it. There's something about Chinese magnets in the one of the parts of it. And we'll go straight to breaking defense. Pentagon acquisition chief, who's, of course, Dr. LaPlante, uh, hope, is hopeful that F-35 deliveries can resume pretty soon. Earlier this week, the Pentagon acknowledged it had stopped accepting deliveries of the F-35 due to Chinese alloys used in magnets inside the F-35 turbo machine. Um, the F JPO Joint Program Office, F-35 JPO, paused F-35 deliveries on 31 August after Honeywell, which makes the F-35's turbo machine, which the turbo machine helps provide power needed to start the engine, disclosed that a supplier for the turbo machine's lube pumps had had used Chinese alloys in magnets. Uh, if a defense contracts management agency investigation finds that the use of the alloy violates defense acquisition regulations, a top Pentagon acquisition official, who is Mr. Bill LaPlante or Dr. Bill LaPlante, would be required to issue a waiver stating that resuming production is in the best interest of United States national, national security. And of course, I'm being kind of sarcastic here, Lockheed Martin's pocketbook, because everybody, everybody, there's a lot of nations that love that F-35. Um, I, I don't know. I, there's just something about it. It's like the Ford F-150, you know, the best-selling pickup truck in the world, or at least in America. There's something about it that people like, and there's something about this F-35. Um, I'll go on. So Bill Plant, Dr. Plant, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition, the statement suggested he would do just that, which means issue request a waiver uh, during a press brief on Friday, which we'll get into. Um, 
both F-35 Joint uh, Program Office and the F-35 Prime Track Contractor Lockheed Martin have said that the magnet does not pose a risk to flight safety, nor does it provide a security risk that can be exploited by China to glean information about the F-35 stealth capabilities. Honeywell has stopped working with the supplier of the Chinese alloy and has found an alternate U.S.-based source that will be that will be delivered next month, Lockheed spokeswoman Laura Siebert said in a statement. However, it's unclear when the F-35 is made with this new alloy will begin rolling off the production line. And then Dr. LaPlante talks about a bigger supply chain illumination and problems with that. I don't want to get into all that. So bottom line, it stopped delivery. Pentagon acknowledged it stopped delivery because of this Chinese alloy. And Dr. LaPlante is going to ask for a waiver. And so let's get right to, uh, he gave a press conference. When did he give this press conference? Today, September 9th. And of course, that was, I went through it. I didn't see anything that was really uh, interesting to talk about. He talks about the draw, uh, the money for Ukraine. Doesn't talk about the mines, though. He talks about uh, 155, says we're giving a lot of, uh, we're making a lot of, 14,400 a month. United States is making 155 munitions. So here we go. This is the uh, a reporter named Sam Legrone. We've done a story from him before from USNI News. He wants to ask a question, just a quick follow-up on the alloy magnet issue with the F-35. Does it affect operational aircraft? Does it have to be replaced in the operational aircraft? You're not considering a contract violation with Lockheed or Honeywell or any of those. And Dr. LaPlante says, let me tell you the situation as we know it. So it was pointed, as some of you know, the contractor is actually sub-supplied, sub-supplier to Lockheed Martin, self-reported that they discovered that an alloy that goes into a magnet is made in China. Um... And through some sort of defense acquisition regulation, we, we being the Pentagon, has to stop, as we understood it, accepting airplanes. That's basically where the airplane is signed over to the government. So pending the results of the investigation, uh, they're looking at two things. One is impact on security and, if any, on impact of air, airworthiness or safety. If any, right now, so far, doesn't appear to be either one of them. But I'm waiting for them to finish what they're looking at and come to me. And then there's another good question here. This is what I really want to talk about. Uh, great, thank you. I'm going to open up the questions, open up to the phones for a question. Tony Capaccio, Bloomberg. He is the one that broke a big story the other day on, I've asked Tony Capaccio, I do believe. But anyway, he's a good reporter too. So here you go. Here's his question, Tony's. Hi, sir. I wanted to follow up on the F-35 question. The JPO acknowledged that every plane that has been delivered to this date has this magnet in it. In there, this alloy, it raises the question of why Honeywell over the last 15, 16, or 17 years didn't detect it. Does this bother you, or is this more than a problem issue that, you know, things are going to happen given the complexity of the supply chain? And here Dr. LaPlante says, Tony, I'll give you question for a great quest. I'll give you credit for a great question. I actually don't know the answer on this particular case. I will find out and we'll let people know. I could speculate. I just I have just seen enough cases of discovering things in supply chains that you know that I wouldn't be surprised by anything. I've often said and others have said any company that says they know their supply chain is like a company saying they've never been hacked. It's an endless battle. But I don't know the answer to that question. 
So good question. Dr. LaPlante is not easily stumped by anyone if you've ever seen him. And uh, he was stumped there. And then somebody asked about Gray Eagle. I won't get into it, but I thought that was a pretty good question. But I don't want to talk about Gray Eagle right now. So anyway, that's it. We're done with the F-35. Now we're going to move on to AFC. Let me pull that up. Stand by. So AFC, on September 6th, a few days ago, Jen Judson, who writes for Defense News, fantastic reporter, did a story about uh, Army Futures Command. It's like four years old now. Uh, kind of the, you know, kind of a, the formative years, the four-year history of it, how it was started, who started, you know, General Milley's all in there, and uh, what it's supposed to do, their headquarters in Austin, what they're trying to accomplish. We did a story on it. Was it our last episode? Probably. I rambled on and probably too long about it. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. But uh, in in that story, Jen Judson was saying that, look, you know, the four-star retired uh, last year. I think it was last year. And you haven't, you, the Army, have not replaced him. You've got this uh, three-star, the deputy, who's the interim commander. And then there was this memo that we probably went too much into about uh, the tug of war between AFC and the acquisition field, you know, uh, Honorable Doug Bush, you know, who is the lead modernization of the Army. And then Secretary of the Army Warmoth said the acquisition, you know, the assaultee is the lead modernization force for the Army. And, of course, there's cooperation between AFC. And there was kind of speculation, by myself included. I didn't think the Army was going to do this. I thought the Army was going to keep a three-star in that position, not put a four-star in there, because a four-star is a heavy hitter. And there's not too many four-stars in the Army. We went over who they were. I think there's 16 of them. So when you put four stars on somebody, that's kind of rarefied air. And I was thinking that AFC would be the junior partner in the deal, and they'd just keep a three-star there. That way he can be for lack of a better word, smacked around by the assaultee uh, because you can't smack around a four-star. Um, but, so there was speculation, would the Army nominate a four-star? And in the article from Jen Judson on the 6th, um, the SEC Army said, yes, we're absolutely going to nominate a four-star. And even uh, Doug Bush said we're going to nominate a four-star. Probably not his place to say that. He's probably just stay out of it. But uh, anyway, they said they're going to nominate a four-star. And that article came out on the 6th, and lo and behold, the next day, the U.S. Army nominates uh, someone for the AFC position and four-star. So was that just timing? Was it a coincidence? Uh, either way... It's good for AFC. So I, I was way wrong. I didn't think they'd put a four-star in there. I thought they would keep it a three-star, but I was wrong. And I guess Jen Judson's article was the horsefly that bit the horse and got the horse to bucking because the next day, uh, which was the 7th, the U.S. Army nominated a leader for Futures Command, Lieutenant General James Rainey, nine months after First Commander Mike Murray retired. Um, let's see, like I said, Lieutenant General James Richardson, who I think has been doing a pretty good job. Murray's deputy has been the acting commander or the interim commander since retirement of the first commander, General Murray, in December 21. Just to recap, the Army Command is the 
overseas requirements for modernization and new formations and forced sign. We don't need to go into that again. Uh, let's see. So General Rainey is, right now he's the Army G357. And G357 is a heavy-duty position in the Army, heavy-duty. Uh, I don't see how there's enough hours in the day for that position. And he is, he is intimately familiar, or that position is intimately familiar with modernization. I mean, he's one of the key enablers or key integrators for modernization. So he's, he's definitely the right person. He's definitely in the know. And before that, he was a CAT commander. And the CAT commander is Command Arm Center, U.S. Army Command Arm Center at Fort Leavenworth. I don't want to say it's like the intellectual center of the Army. If it's not the intellectual center of the Army, um, what was that movie, No Country for Old Men? If CAC and Fort Leavenworth, Kansas is not the intellectual center of the Army, it'll do till the intellectual center of the Army gets there, basically. Uh, that's where a lot of heavy-duty thinkers, where the there's a lot of the doctrine headquarters is out of there. So he was in charge of that. So he definitely knows the direction the Army is going. Plus, he was a G3, G357, current G357, so he knows he knows everything, current ops, future ops, modernization. He's got his pulse on everything. Before that, he was old dog-faced soldier down at Fort Stewart. He was a 3rd Division commander. And before that, he was at Fort Benning as the infantry school commandant. So he's got, uh, I don't know anything about the guy, but just from his background, he's got a brain between his ears, and he's got mud on his boots. And so he's kind of a good combination so I think he's a good choice. I think he's going to do a good job, and we'll see if the Senate confirms him. I think, how does that work? It's down in here. He goes before the uh, Senate Armed Service Committee, and once they say he's good to go, they put it. They move it to the floor of the Senate. I believe that's how it works. Uh, let me see. I don't know why that's important, but let me see if it's in here. Yeah, I think the way it works, he'll be confirmed, if he's confirmed by the Senate Armed Service Committee, and then I think they go to the floor with it, and all the senators vote on it. You know, unless he's got any skeletons in his closet, it should be a no-brainer. So that's pretty much it. What did we talk about? We talked about F-35, always got to talk about that. We talked about Ukraine. We talked about some uh, mines and armor mines delivered by 155, Pakistani, their F-16s, and, of course, Army Futures Command, one of my favorite subjects. Um. And we still got to do out on this Army fixed-wing ISR platform, also known as Hades. I'm still wrapping my head around that. We'll get to it, believe me. That's pretty much it. We're under 30 minutes today, 2633. Uh, one last plug for Twitter. If you like the podcast, maybe you like Twitter, check it out. No pressure. It's up to you. Um, I think we're on ep episode 48. Man, we're almost to 50 episodes. So episode 48, that's pretty much in the books. Uh, thank everybody for tuning in. We've had some pretty decent downloads the last couple of days. Um, I don't know if I told everybody this. I'm advertising on Google. It's costing me. <laughs> I did the cheap plan. You put your own budget in. I'm spending two fifty a day for thirty days to see if I get how it works. And uh, anyway, I think it's kind of working. I'm getting a few more downloads than I usually do. Um, I'm sure they're putting me on at the worst times. I'm only paying them $2.50 a day. So at the end of the month, it'll be like 750 bu or 75 bucks. If it works, I'll keep doing it. If not, I'll probably stop doing it because anyway, it's an experiment. So maybe you'll see my ad on, on Google at 2 o'clock in the morning. Believe me, it's not much to it. Uh, so don't, 
you know, it's not much to it. All right, that's pretty much it. Episode 48, I think we're on 48, is in the books. So thank you very much and good night.